0: Hey there. It's Raleigh. I want to catch you before this episode to tell you about our new and improved bonus podcast, More Mercy. Each week I break down a MercyCast episode and show how it not only intersects with scripture, but how it impacts our daily lives. This short devotional episode is only $3 a month, which is like $4 less than a cup of coffee at the Mermaid Place. To access it, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Remember, no matter what you're going through, there's always more mercy. And now, On with the show. Welcome to the MercyCast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. Today, I want to talk about how we view ourselves. When we view ourselves in such a light that we have to always have it together to have value or worth, we're setting ourselves up for failure. As a matter of fact, that's really what we're good at. We're good at failure, but we don't want to see it. We don't want to acknowledge it. And we don't. We, we desperately don't want anyone else to see it. Because if people see us at our lowest points, then what does that mean for us? Does that mean that we are the culmination of everything we've ever feared? Does that mean that we truly don't have it together? Does that mean that we can't get right no matter how hard we work at it? Dave was a perfectionist. For him, imperfect just wasn't enough. And he really saw this come through in his parenting. How could Dave be a perfect parent when the evidence points to the contrary? Today I am joined by Dave Zoll, the director of Mockingbird and the author of Seculosity and Low Anthropology. He's married and he has three boys and they all live in central Virginia. Dave, welcome to the MercyCast. Well, thanks for having me, Raleigh. It's a real pleasure to be here. So this has been a long time coming. I remember on my birthday several years ago, I was living in Chicago. It was in the pandemic. I called you and I had an idea. I said, Dave, I need your perspective. You're like, okay, what is it? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, man, I'm thinking about doing this podcast and I, I don't even know where to start. You see, I was scared to death to do the podcast because for me, I had this unchecked, unrealized, and I just wasn't self-aware of how much of a perfectionist I was. And so for me, in order to do a podcast or really to do anything, I had to be perfect. It had to be amazing because I think at some level, my worth and my value came from that. And what was funny was a comedy of errors because I was stuck in a parking garage. We weren't getting good reception. You were just like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm I'm going, yes, we're going to talk. I'm trying to get out of this parking garage. It's like a labyrinth. I'm I'm expecting to see David Bowie at any moment. But <laughs> as we're talking, you say, yeah, you know, I'm working on this book, Low Anthropology. And you kind of told me a little bit about what you were learning even as you were writing it and wading through that. And that must have been hard because when you're writing a book, I feel like, I mean, it is just a perfect opportunity for imposter syndrome to set in. It's a perfect opportunity to beat ourselves up. You know, it's we're just kind of there with our thoughts and sometimes our thoughts aren't the safest place for us to be. (laughs) And so, I'm just really excited that we're having this conversation on the opposite side of both the culmination of your book and the podcast. And so, again, thanks for joining
1: me. Thanks, Raleigh. I I remember that. We were... (laughs) It was a different time back in 2020, so I'm glad I didn't um, dissuade you in any, or at least uh, whatever I said didn't uh, hasn't tanked the project thus far, so I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Not thus far, so we'll <laughs> see how the day goes. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> I'm here to finish the job. Right? <laughs> That's what I'm talking
0: about. Dave, you would have identified as a perfectionist. You struggle, like any of us would. How do you move forward knowing that you're never going to get it right all of
1: the time? Well, I would say, I, I wouldn't say past tense I was a perfectionist. I think I still am one I think it's yes. a problem for me. I think it's a real ongoing thorn in the flesh. And when I say perfectionist in parenting is I think you, when you have kids, you have this illusion that things are going to be a certain way. And you bring all these expectations that you don't even realize you have of, you know, I'm gonna be for me, it was like I'm gonna be a very gracious dad. I wanna be like, I don't know if you ever heard theologian Rod Rosenblatt talk about his dad. It's like I wanna be one of those kinds of dads who like guys are kids are telling stories about in years to come and how he sort of modeled grace in a in a very, you know, visceral way. And that'd be nice. That would be super nice. And I just remember, you know, I think sometimes God gives you the child that you need rather than the one you want. And I happen to have a, one of, I, I have three wonderful boys, uh, but one of them is, one of them is socially very reticent or to, especially to perform in any respect. And so I just, I have a very, very vivid memory of A relative calling and dying to say hi to him on the phone. And, you know, when you're like, when there's a five-year-old around or uh, a four-year-old that, you know, how much that will, you know, this person was had a cancer diagnosis and you just knew how much it would mean for him to say hello to this person. And he just flat out refused in front of, you know, you know, it was a video call. It was, it was very, very, and I, I completely lost it, like completely started yelling at him to the extent that someone who isn't within earshot was like, is everything okay over here? You know, mm. if you've ever had that moment where you have someone, like sort of a bystander or a, a good Samaritan even come by to sort of figure out if, are you safe for this kid? That is a deeply uh, disillusioning moment about one's own perfectionism and you sort of are you struck very in the face with the fact that you can't control this person and um, your attempts to control them are making things worse and it's all about it's not just about how it reflects on him it's about how it reflects on you and if you're a person with perfectionistic tendencies and people-pleasing tendencies I think those often go hand in hand it can be devastating so nothing will break you of your perfectionism faster than uh, I think marriage probably first but parenting is another way that this happens and it's happened to me at least I think there are some people that can go on autopilot and just never you know they have the patience of a saint uh, but that's not me and I, I've lost it more than times than, I, than I'd like to say and I don't think I'll be the guy they t- I, they'll tell stories maybe in some regards I hope so but I get a passing grade at best
0: You've got this situation where you're like so many of us, you know, like perfectionists, we're not allowed to phone it in. Perfectionists are not allowed to just be okay. Mm. We've got to be great. We're living up to the standard that as far as I know, only one person has lived. But even that person's perfection is different than the perfectionism that we're seeking because so much of our perfectionism is grounded in judgment, judgment towards ourselves, judgment towards others. It's an idealism. We are either good or bad. We Mm. can't be a mixture of both. And what you've described is this idea that, yes, in a great father can be good and bad, can be mess-ups, can be struggles. And as you kind of live this out on the daily, could you tell us how that has led you to write a book like Low Anthropology. And could you tell us a
1: little bit more about Low Anthropology? Well, the, the idea behind Low Anthropology is refers to a view of human nature. Everyone's got a sort of a view, a default anthropology would be the word for it, a, a kind of an operating understanding of human nature. And some people have a very optimistic or sort of what I would call sunny view of human nature, and some people have a darker one uh, or a more sober. I wouldn't call it cynical. I'd call it a sober, realistic view of human nature, which which I'd I'd term a low anthropology. And the thing about a low anthropology is that we think if we come clean or at least display any chinks in the armor, any kind of imperfection, that we will lose out and that that will prevent us from receiving love. And especially the the love of, you know, peers and parents and friends, but also the love of God. We believe we have to perform in order to receive acceptance. And that's just sort of seemed to be hardwired into the DNA. It's it's you know, theologians would call it sort of justification by works of the law. There are other ways to talk about it, but simply this jockeying for approval by sort of demonstrating your own worthiness at all at all times and all places. A low anthropology would say, in fact, that moments of vulnerability, weakness, failure, sin are actually the places where they will be the places where you experience rejection, but for that reason, they will also be the places where if you are to experience grace, that's where it will happen. I mean, the Christian gospel at its core is a message uh, sent that is preached to sinners. And to people who have not measured up, and it only makes sense. It makes sense when you're in prison, you know. It makes sense when you're in an emotional prison. Makes sense when you've fallen on your face. A message of salvation and a message of absolution and forgiveness of sins like that is that only speaks to those who are in need, not those who have somehow managed to work their way into God's favor. So, I found personally, I'm, I'm invested and interested in making Christianity intelligible to modern people. And I think sometimes they would hear low anthropology, and hear it as shaming, but I would say it's, it's, it's not really. What's shaming is the idea that I can, can do it all, I can be it all, I can pull off this perfectionism, I just haven't managed to do it yet. Like That is shaming. So I guess what I'm saying is that I, it, for me as a person whose deep struggle or just losing battle is with the approval in other people's eyes, or just performance in general, being good at things, to hear that in fact, love only flows, grace is only sensible, it only is uh, intelligible, at least in light of real need. Well, that's that's a deep comfort, it's, it, it's frightening, It absolutely frightening, especially if you're spending your whole life avoiding any sign of less than, yeah. any sign of, again, And most of us are in some, to some degree or whatnot, but it also is a a, a reason for tremendous hope. So I always write whenever I'm writing, I'm trying to write the book that I want to read and that I haven't read yet. And that's what Low Anthropology is, Raleigh. No, and that's so
0: helpful because your story of parenting is so normal and so real and so honest that so many of those who are listening, who are parents, they've been there they've experienced what you're experiencing they've dealt with the shame and you mentioned this idea that some people will say that low anthropology is shameful could you dig into that a little bit more for me
1: well what they what the the, the idea out there in the culture is that if you have a negative view of yourself or a negative view of human nature That you are somehow saying that people are worms and they're terrible. And Christians get accused of this rightly so. I think sometimes they this is what they actually communicate. And what that's a it's a that's a very partial view of the Christian faith. I mean, we the law says that you are less than, that you do not measure up. The gospel says that God loves you so much that he forgives you, that he has died for you, that he has adopted you, that you are a new creation. I mean, when when the law is stressed especially in the life of a believer, you do get a sort of a shameful, what I would call it actually, it's a high anthropology. Masquerading is a low anthropology. What I mean by that is you have the voice of get it together now or else. And that's what a lot of Christians hear from the church. And the idea there is that you have it within yourself to get it together. A low anthropology says you don't actually have that capability. The law is there to to, to bring you to your knees, to put you into relationship with the de- of dependency on God and to look to God for that which God can only, only God can provide, which is forgiveness, salvation, deliverance, life, et cetera. But if you start talking too much in terms of little Johnny's a sinner, people hear that you are blaming him for things that he cannot control. You are planting seeds of inferiority and inadequacy. Rather than giving Johnny the tools to understand himself and mm. not only the tools to understand himself, but when the time comes the, uh, some sense of where he can go with his shame, where he can go for forgiveness, where he can go for absolution when yeah. the when when real problems rear their head so it's a it's a real misnomer to me, and the book was written partly with that in mind that the a high anthropology, which says you are a, a sort of a good person getting better, what that ends up creating is a situation where people start editing their personas and their their, you know, what they share and hiding and no one is really honest about things. A low anthropology creates a baseline of it lowers the expectation, it creates a baseline of honesty. And therefore it opens the doors to all sorts of love and surprise and goodness. So that's the kind of basic counterintuitive nature of what I was trying to get at. But what I'm trying to get at, I don't think is anything novel. I think it's a dynamic at the very heart of the Christian faith.
0: One of the things I loved about this book was that throughout the book, you see this refrain of acceptance of reality. It's not this, I'm trying to project that I have it all together, or I'm projecting my desire for other people to have it all together onto them. It's this More of this picture of this is who I am, this is where I'm at. And I think that is beautiful because I do think that's foundational to growth. Like we're all dancing between acceptance and denial with everything that we do every day. We can deny that we're experiencing things and we can just push that back and repress that. And that doesn't necessarily help us. That doesn't, that's not got vitamin C in it. You know, it's not going to ultimately (laughs) benefit us in the long run. But That idea of acceptance, it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to everything because now you're saying, well, I actually do struggle with perfectionism. Hmm. This is where I'm at. When I realized that in my own life, it came after I had a, a bottoming out, as you talk about in the book, this moment where I just realized that I'd kind of hit rock bottom. And I said, you know what? So much of what I've experienced I mean, it it comes from this desire for me to be perfect. And if I'm perfect in everything I do, and honestly, perfection for me has always led to paralysis. So it would yeah. take me forever to create. It would take me forever to write. I would not create because if I can't create the perfect article or the perfect podcast or the perfect book, whatever, then I don't want to do it because what I hadn't accepted at that point was that for me... I had to create something that was beyond critique so that I could receive the approval that I sought.
1: Mm, yeah. I think that's very, uh, that's very astute, Raleigh. I think that one of the... That's, it's The paralysis is very real, and it is the, the bane of every writer, certainly. I know it's a bane of musicians, too. You just look at Axel Rose, not, not being able to make an album for 14 years. But I... It, and then when he the- came back, he was definitely an imperfectionist <laughs> yeah i mean that that you lost you sort of the boat the ship had sailed in a lot of respects with the voice i think that it, it is paralyzing i mean i think for so, some people perfectionism puts them into high gear and they're able to produce for a while until they can't any longer i mean that's what there's a some people it, it it shuts down and other people react to pressure by um overcompensating and uh, both of them are, are dead ends. I, I, I think that one has a little more social reward to it, just in the sense of, I found that my own, one of the things that broke me of perfectionism in writing, at least for a little while, was having to write for the web, which was constantly de- needing content, you know, so ravenous for content, the, the World Wide Web is, that you just have to keep doing things every day, and, and you get to the point where it's like, well, I don't know if this is any good, but click, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a helpful exercise, but ultimately, you know, when, when you transpose these 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 dynamics into the spirit of a person, it is simply deadly. Because a perfectionism also is is a kind of a, in its way a, a rejection of God. I think it's a it, it's a refusal to accept grace. I only only will be judged on my own merits, and I refuse to be. I mean, not that we're in control of this, but it's there is an element to which. I know it's bad. I know I shouldn't do it. I know it's making things worse, but there's something that's too scary about throwing myself on the mercy of the crowd or throwing myself on, and letting them really see the real me. And yet, as we know, that's also the, the, the only path forward uh, for the sort of life of grace. Well, it's also the
0: classic pastor story. When a pastor gets up to preach, and most of us who we preach or we speak we have this perfectionistic tell that as soon as we get done, we go to our significant other or a close friend and we say, Hey, how did I do? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. John. Because we have to, at some level, preach the perfect sermon. But what we found is the days where we basically, it's just garbage, it's hot garbage just spewing from our lips. And, mm-hmm. It's one of those where like, man, that was the worst thing I've ever done. I, I zigged when I should have zagged. I missed this. I missed that. But then these people come up to you and they're like, man, that was
1: the <laughs> best sermon you've ever preached. And I'm like, yeah, really? I mean, how, how often is that the case, especially with the life of, a, of people in ministry is the perfectionism. You just have to be in it for a little while. And you would be like, that was, I think, the worst sermon I've ever given. Or the, the curse of death is when you sing, like, I think that was a really, really good sermon. I mean, you could tell as a person who's preaching, you can tell when you're connecting and when you're resonating and when this sort of bottom floor has been reached. Uh, and yet, it how often is it the case? It's like, it happened to me, honestly, it happened to me last, uh, a couple weeks ago. I was speaking at an event and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been given this like pretty good talk. I'm really, int- I think it's going to be good. Like, it feels fresh. I got some great illustrations. I'm I'm ready to go. And then I give it, it wasn't what I thought it was. And you just are thinking like, I am such a terrible, what a low anthropology says is actually, I'm a terrible judge of these things. And it it relieves you of that job, which was never really yours in the first place, because yes, you can get up there and simply speak from the heart. And it might be the worst thing you've ever said, but the the one person will come up to you and be like, how do you do it? That was God was here and spoken. And I was like, what if you only know that God can use all sorts of uh, sinners in the work, his work in the world?
0: Well, and you know, it's that idea that there's treasure in the jars of clay and that mm. it's the light comes through the cracks. And yeah, there's probably some obligatory Hemingway quote that I could bring up where <laughs> we are strong in the broken places. But I think at the end of the day, that acceptance of maybe this doesn't have to be perfect. Maybe it just needs to be. A book that was very helpful to me was a book called Becoming an Imperfectionist mm. by Steven Geist. And I read it at a time where I needed to read it. And it was fascinating because the guy's like, you know what I started doing? I no longer judge myself qualitatively. That doesn't help. I don't grow. I don't heal. I don't do any of that. But I judge myself in a binary way. Did I do the thing that I set out to do? It doesn't matter if I did it well. And he's like, I figure if I keep doing it and just judging myself in a right. binary way, I'm probably going to improve. It's that's like that nice quote thing. from it's... Adventure Time, you know? It's like, before you get good at something, you, you gotta kind of suck at it hmm. before you become kind of good
1: at it. I think that's, I think that's the exact quote. <laughs> I love that show. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. I mean, it life will will take the perfectionism from you i think like I, when i say that kids will just parenting children it's it's just their refusal to be molded and shaped and subject to your control that is a huge gift to us and and it, it will by nature feel like agony because defiance and sort of just otherness is often received as a rebuke or as a why won't you do what i say but ultimately the people that we have closest relationships with sort of adults with their with their adult children are usually ones that they 've accepted one another on some level as human beings that are not perfect. I mean, what do they say like the moment you grow up is when you realize that your parents are just as human as you are, and there's a necessary sort of illusion about your parents being God and sort of the, the, and, the, and, and, and because in that way, you know when your parent is God, their approval means everything, but their disapproval means everything too. And so you see people with deep, 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 deep scars from that. But I, 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 would, I would say that realizing that your parent is a human being, and what that, that's actually code for realizing that they are just as broken, vulnerable, and in need of mercy as you are. That is the, that's actually the hinge of a maturity. It's not kind of getting better to the extent that you no longer are imperfect. It's the realization that you, how, how you and everyone else is sort of in the same boat.
0: And I think this turns our understanding of sanctification on its head too, because oftentimes when we think of sanctification as this process of growing in holiness, we see it in terms of personal holiness, like I've got to get better. And oftentimes when we talk about personal holiness, it's read my Bible more, pray more, hmm. go to church more you know it's it's less about like loving others it's less about being kinder to ourselves it's be- less about adopting more of a lower anthropology it's this idea of i've got to be perfect today and i don't feel that that happens and so yeah. i feel like that's one side but then with low anthropology how do you avoid fatalism of i'm just never going to get better i'm never going to grow i'm never going to heal
1: well i don't think I think low anthropology is never. I don't want to talk about it independent of the existence of God, because mm. uh, I think that's in good. your own in your own uh, skin, you aren't gonna you're gonna die is what you're gonna do. You're gonna that's get true. worse. Like that's the only thing we can know for certain. But we also know that if that's the only thing you're gonna do, then we worship a God who raises the dead. But we also worship a God who has active and alive in the world and the Holy Spirit and does. Uh-huh work in people's lives in all sorts of cool and interesting and surprising ways. Like surprise is a key category here. And God who the God who gives gifts and, and, and the God of surprise, that my idea that I can have written the script for the rest of my life, I know what's going to happen. I know that it's, nothing's ever going to get better. I know that, that is actually a high anthropology. That is putting you in the position of God who says he was all knowing and all seeing and knows exactly what's going to happen. That's not that that kind of knowledge isn't available to a finite and broken human being. What you can say is that I don't know if I'm going to be like this forever. I don't know if it's going to if 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 I'm gonna um, get worse or if you know the pain is gonna go away. I mean, as a Christian, we have hope always, and, and that looks like patience a lot of times, but but that we look around, the low anthropologist looks around and says. Well, hey, hold on a second. You know, things are not as bad as they possibly could be. There's all sorts of beauty and goodness in the world. I have experienced certain miracles or just healing or love in my life that didn't have to be there. That's gratuitous. And you have start to see yourself as smaller and more filled with gratitude than ever before. And as we know, that, that sort of has a perpetuating kind of presence in a person's life. So... Low anthropology, taken in its taken seriously, dispenses with the idea that you can ever assume anything with certainty. But it also puts the onus for change in the only hands where it actually belongs, which is with God. So it's a tremendously hopeful outlook. In fact, a high anthropology that says I am my chief, the chief the answer to all my problems that is a deeply dis- depressing, discouraging. Because it, it, might, it might be good news for five years when you're getting physically stronger and your mind is getting sharper. But when, you know, the elasticity of the brain increases and your bones start to get more brittle, you're in a different category. So I, I think low anthropology, uh, I get why the response would be like, well, this sounds like defeatism. It sounds like fatalism. It's not. It's, it's I mean, I just... Frankly, it's not. It's it's a, it's an embrace uh, of the unknown and of uncertainty and affinitude finitude and in light of the God who not only saves, but the God who works in the world in all sorts of unexpected and surprising and really gracious and cool ways. We just get to sort of sit back and, and watch it happen. It's this idea of understanding our limitations to such
0: an extent that we understand that the things that we feel would disqualify us from a relationship are the actual things that connect us to other people who are feeling the same
1: exact way. Now, amen to that. Amen to that. I just get you. Can't, that can't be said loud enough. The stuff we're avoiding. Mary Carr said it in one of her. Uh, Mary Carr is a memoirist, Catholic, wonderful, very funny, and sort of off-color writer. She talked about reading. She's a she. She teaches memoir writing, and she reads the memoirs of her people that submit them. And she says, in almost every case, the thing that the person's trying to hide, I have to tell them to add it back in or emphasize it because that ends up being the, the, the deepest facet of the story, and that which allows it to, you know, resonate more widely. The thing that you're trying to hide, actually bring it to the fore, and she, that's what she says. And you know, hey. She's, she's, she's pretty good at this thing.
0: Well, and that's that idea of acceptance. And it reminds me of a Pete Scazzaro quote where he says, God, I mean, this is the most paraphrase of paraphrase, paraphrases that you've ever Uh seen in your life. But it basically, Christ didn't die for the view of yourself that you project. He died for that real you, that you, that you don't want to show anyone, including yourself. Yeah and i think low anthropology gets at that it's this acceptance of well
1: yeah this is where i'm at and, and that's okay well i hope it gets at that Raleigh, cuz that's the only thing we're talking about the the sort of game of masks we all wear it's just it's uh, we don't need any more book, books or or time devoted to that i think that if if this book can do anything it's to breathe some life and life and grace and uh, sort of make intelligible to the wider world why a sort of a, a more sober view of, of humanity is not to be feared but to be embraced because it's the it's the avenue to to hope love grace unity all the things we're actually after that we preclude when we shove them under the rug in our last moments
0: could you give our listeners some encouragement where they're thinking you know i'm a shipwreck I'm broken, I can't fix myself. What would you say to our listeners?
1: Well, I'd say, A, welcome to the human race. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> and uh, that now you can get on with the business of being alive and, and looking for love and receiving it as well. I also would say you are also, what you've, what you've described, your listener, is the, uh, the, the exact kind of person for whom Jesus Christ died and rose again like he did not he did not come for the righteous but he came for sinners he came for those who were who who were beyond you mean beyond hope and so i would say that whatever has brought you to the place of feeling like you're the only one or that uh, no one cares is actually might actually be the work of god to, to bring you closer to, to his, his heart.
0: Dave, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Raleigh. It's great honor, privilege to be here. Thank you for your work, your, your very important work. I really, I always love telling people about let my people go and directing them to it as a resource. It's, it's, thank um, you. It's, it's God's work, so thank, thank you. Thank you. If you are interested in more stories like this one,
0: buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. Also, if you want bonus content, you can click on the link in the show notes to access our new and improved weekly bonus podcast, More Mercy, where I dive deeper into each episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. I want to hear from you. You can email me at info at This podcast is brought to you by Let My People Go. To learn more about how you can love your most vulnerable neighbors through your own vulnerability, go to lmpg.org. Till next time. Have mercy on yourselves and each other.